0: Welcome to Oto Mentor, the podcast that provides mentorship for your otolaryngology career. I'm your host, Christina Cabrera-Muffley. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own or my guests, and do not express the views or opinions of my employer. This is Episode 12, Choosing a Fellowship in Otolaryngology, the Neurotology Edition. I am joined today by Dr. Jameson Mattingly. Jameson graduated from the University of Louisville School of Medicine before completing a residency in otolaryngology at the University of Colorado. He subsequently pursued a fellowship in neurotology at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. He graduated from fellowship this past June and is currently an assistant professor at the Ohio State University. Welcome to the show, Jameson. How's it going? Good, good. How are you?
1: Doing very, very well. Getting going with my uh, faculty appointment. So you know how that goes.
0: Yeah, that's great. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. And on finishing your long training career. (laughs) It went by pretty
1: fast, thankfully.
0: Yeah. So how did you decide on otolaryngology as a specialty? It's a similar reason
1: from what I've heard from a lot of different people in that it was appealed to me when I saw my first head and neck cancer case, when I was watching, you know, a neck dissection, a mandible resection, and a free flap. I just thought the anatomy was so cool. I thought that some other aspects of otolaryngology, such as using scopes and, you know, microscopes and endoscopes were also appealing to me. And truthfully, you know, and as bad as I hate to say it, I was competitive enough where I thought I could get into it. And so, you know, I knew I wanted to do surgical and I knew I wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily spending all my time in the ICUs. And I think that just a number of things like the anatomy and some of the other aspects really appealed to
0: me. Yeah. And then how did you decide you wanted to do neurotology specifically?
1: I knew that, you know, after a few months of starting residency, I knew that a fellowship was something that appealed to me. I figured that I had a fair amount of interest in research. And I knew that academics was something that at least that I would strongly consider. And I figured, if I wanted to do research, if I wanted to do academics, a fellowship was something I wanted to do. And I, I didn't really know which one I wanted to do. And I knew that I just needed more time to get to know each of the subspecialties within ENT a little bit better. The first exposure I had to otology was through one of the senior residents who introduced me to the research lab that he was working in. And some of the research involved drilling temporal bones, so doing mastoidectomies and facial recess approaches. And it was something that just really was very appealing to me. In some ways, I kind of felt it was more natural to me than some of the other aspects of ENT that I had encountered. And it was something that I really just enjoyed doing. And my research, thankfully, was, was productive. And so I felt like I was really actually getting to know some of the more finer details of otology, you know, just kind of snowballed on itself. And I just from there, I was like, well, I mean, you know, I know this the best. I have a lot of interest in it. You know, I think that uh, this is where I should go.
0: Yeah. So the research was then during your third year, correct?
1: It partly started in my second year. Okay. I actually did some rhinology research first, and I really didn't enjoy it as much. And then that's when I kind of went over to do some otology research. And then it really kind of was cemented, I would say, in my third year when I actually spent some time on a research block doing this every day.
0: Yeah. And then when did you make the final decision that you were going to apply? Like at what point during your residency?
1: Probably somewhere around the third year, probably middle to end of the third year. Okay. So, you know, I was—I think I was reasonably early. And I think some people, when I talk to them, they're like, "I was born to be an otologist." But I don't think <laughs> necessarily me. I think that it took some time for me to figure out what I wanted to do. So, it was—I think it was early in some regard, but uh, I think that you know, it, it took some time for me to figure out.
0: Yeah, because what's the timeline for the application and the interviews? So it's late.
1: I think it's the latest fellowships for anything in in otolaryngology. The applications are due around May, May to June of your fourth year residency. So the end of your fourth year. And then you start interviewing around July, August and September of your chief year. And you find out in October. So actually, right now, people are about to find out probably in the next week or two whether or not they're head-matched into a Neurotology Fellowship. So it's pretty late. So thankfully you do have some time to make some of these decisions.
0: How competitive is Neurotology Fellowship Match? I believe it
1: is very competitive. I think it varies a little bit year to year. There are certain years where there's a lot more people applying than other years. And obviously that makes it uh, much more competitive during those years. The additional thing is that it's a pretty small field. You know, there are only a number of spots that are available each year. And because of that also, you know, so the combination of being a small field and being a lot of times more applicants than spots makes it pretty competitive.
0: Do you know how many spots approximately
1: there are? I do. Well, I don't know exactly, but it has changed a little bit over the last few years. There's been a couple of new programs that have been ACGME accredited, and I think there's about now there's 20 to 25. There was 20 as of like three or four years ago. And I think three or four programs have added since then. And that equals about 27 spots. And out of those 27 spots, eight are available every year. And the other 19 are available every other year. So in
0: any given year,
1: there is like 15 to, you know, 15 or so spots, something like that. Because, Maybe.
0: because neurotology is two years, typically. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So also makes it a little bit more difficult because about half the programs, maybe a
1: little bit more than half the programs only take a fellow every other year. And there's eight spots that are available every year.
0: I see. So what is the difference between neurotology fellowship and otology fellowship?
1: So that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is the the neuro part of it is obviously things like craniotomies. So taking care of patients with cerebellopontine angle tumors, whether that be vestibular schwannomas, meningiomas, and the various surgical approaches that you can use to get to those areas. Also, the jugular foramen probably plays into that. And specifically, what it means is, is that you spend a, a lot more time doing things like that than an otology fellowship usually exposes their fellows to. Additionally, it's two years long instead of one year. And then the neurotology fellowship is also ACGME accredited. And so it's just like a residency, you know, a lot of different subspecialties in ENT, they have faculty appointments when they go there for their fellowship because they're not under the umbrella of the ACGME, whereas I was a PGY-6 and a PGY-7, and which has a lot of advantages actually. It, it you know protected my time. They really don't make you take call because you really can't take faculty call. So I went through a lot of stuff there, so if you have any questions about specifically any of them, but there, there are a number of differences. But I think probably the primary difference is is that the neuro aspect of it.
0: Yeah, so most otology fellowships alone are not ACGME accredited, and you wouldn't be eligible to sit for the neurotology subspecialty boards through the ABOTO either.
1: I don't think any otology fellowships, one-year otology fellowships, are ACGME accredited.
0: So that and, would be an option if you, per se, didn't get a lot of your... Experience in your residency, and you wanted to do that as a generalist, maybe?
1: Totally. And I think that if you didn't have any interest in the neuro aspect of it, that's also a reasonable route because, you know, that extra year of doing ear surgery, you know, cholesteatomas, cochlear implants, that stuff that you can definitely master is kind of a difficult word to you, but you can get a lot better at in one year, uh, in a one year oncology fellowship. There may be some accreditation things with certain hospitals. Some of the details of that are a little bit out of my knowledge right now, but I think there are some hospitals that won't accredit you to do craniotomies unless you have a neuro neurotology fellowship. That makes
0: sense. So you alluded to this a little bit, but what factors in your fellowship application do you think helped you to match? There's really two
1: primary things. I think that three. I think the interview is always important, but outside of the interview itself, your research history. So were you productive from a research standpoint? Do you are you someone who is seemingly academically motivated. Not all the programs are like that, but a lot of them are. And I think that in general, neurotology has a a strong academic lean to it. And then the other thing is, is your letters of recommendation and those letter writers going, talking to those programs for you. You know, those two things are very, you know, in some ways they're both very, very important. I don't know if they're equally important or, or, you know, one is more so than the other, but in my opinion, they were both very important.
0: And then tell me how you chose where you wanted to go for fellowship.
1: Uh, that's, that's a good question, too. I think that it, it changes a little bit over time because people can, people can move around as far as attendings, and that will change the flavor of the fellowship, so to speak. I knew that there were certain programs that were thought of very highly prior to going to the interviews. And then you know the combination of what they had to offer from a research standpoint and what they had to offer from a clinical standpoint. You know, was obviously very important, but it was very different. Some places do a lot more research than others. Some people do different types of school-based approaches than others or different percentages of those. So depending upon what your interest was, that can really change where you may be interested in. And then really the last thing was reputation is something I kind of alluded to, but reputation among my mentors was, was very important. You know, I, I really leaned on them a lot to say, hey, X university, you know, their fellowship, what do you think about that? And I paid attention very much so to what they had to say about those places.
0: So tell me about your fellowship experience. What did you like best about it?
1: Fellowship was awesome. It was a really nice two years. A lot of people, I think, get intimidated in neurotology by doing two years. That extra year, I guess, can can seem a little bit daunting, but I really had a great time. Specifically, you know, I wasn't taking call. Everything I did was geared around otology and neurotology. Um, I ended up doing around four days of clinical stuff a week. And then a lot of times I would have a research day. And so I was able to really, even just in that one extra day of having some academic time to really develop some skills that I really wanted to do, whether that be writing or writing manuscripts, writing grants, things like that, things that were motivating me. And that can be a little bit different from program to program. But generally speaking, every program you're doing just otology and neurotology, which is you know number one. And that was the best part about it. But additionally, I had a little bit extra time that I didn't have in residency to develop some other skills.
0: So besides the operative skills, which clearly blossomed, you also had time to develop your research skills. Yeah. And I think
1: that, like I said, that can vary a little bit from place to place. But a lot of programs will at least encourage you to take that time to develop into an academic person if that's what you want.
0: Yeah. What's your research about?
1: So I do a lot of clinical research, but you know, some of my more basic science research has to do with Meniere's disease and vestibular migraine and differentiating those two diseases, uh, some different techniques, specifically looking at what's called threshold measurements. Basically, we spin somebody one direction and we say, which way did you spin? And that tells us a lot about how their vestibular function is working. So it's really cool. And I developed all that interest really in fellowship.
0: I remember you giving a great talk about the difference between Meniere's and migraine actually as your grand rounds. I think it was your chief year. I thought that was a really well done talk. So maybe your interest actually stemmed before you went to fellowship.
1: Uh, one of my mentors at in residency, who you know well, he always tells me that vestibular is my heritage or something like that, since that was his. So, your calling. <laughs> I don't know if, if any neurotologist should ever say that, because what <laughs> that. nonetheless, it's from a scientific standpoint, is definitely interesting to me.
0: Yeah. So when did you start looking
1: for jobs? I'm pretty a uh, type A person when it comes to stuff like that. I really like to uh, plan ahead, far ahead as I can. I would say maybe, so since the fellowship is two years, about six to eight months in, I started to at least reach out to programs. So maybe late winter, early spring of my first year of fellowship, I started to reach out to different programs and say, hey, you know, someone told me that you had, you were interested in hiring a neurotologist or, hey, would you be interested in hiring a neurotologist or talking to me about a job? And around that same time, my fellowship university, they started talking to me about staying on, which was for a number of reasons, very appealing to me. So that really kind of cut some of that short. I ended up interviewing at a few places or talking to them over the phone at minimum, maybe about 10 months in. So maybe about a year ahead of time, maybe a little bit more. But by that time, I was pretty sure that I was going to stay where I am now. I think it varies a little bit from, from person to person. I would say most people, about a year out, is usually when they start to get very serious about it. Sometimes the uh, fall uh, academy meeting, you know, which just happened you know, the year before they would be on faculty or, or, or have another job somewhere else, is really when a lot of these decisions are made by or at least getting very, very serious about.
0: Yeah, because it's a time where you can meet with multiple people and kind of get a feel for different groups. Totally. And
1: I think that uh, that seems to be some of my colleagues and they were in the same year my fellowship class that's kind of what they went through.
0: Okay and so how did you decide to stay at Ohio State?
1: A couple of different things I mean just from a basic level the comfort of not having to move again and and the comfort of knowing the system where I was located and some of the resources that I was able to have already tapped into I could continue to do that so there was some comfort level of just staying where I was outside of that, I knew I wanted to go to a place that would at least give me some time to develop some of my research skills. I think the research aspect of my interest, are, it's much more difficult for me to make that next step as far as you know becoming a more independent researcher. And then I wanted to be at a place where I also was busy clinically. I mean, th- those are two, I think that's a very in- intuitive, and I think most people would agree that they want to go somewhere that's busy rather than not busy, but I wanted to go to a place that I felt had a- enough volume to support another neurotologist. And they had very collegial relationships with some of the people that you may work with in neurotology, specifically neurosurgery. And they had all that where where I'm currently located. And so it was really kind of a no brainer because of those relationships and kind of what I've already been exposed to while I was here.
0: Do you think most neurotology trained fellows go into academics or do you think some go into private practice? Definitely
1: some go into private practice. I think that it varies a little bit from fellowship to fellowship, but I would say the majority end up doing academic medicine in some capacity, but I know that there are some that occasionally will go into private practice.
0: So if you had to do it again, would you choose the same fellowship? Definitely. You have I'm to sorry. say that, right? Because you're still on faculty there.
1: <laughs> would that be bad if I was like, no, I really hate my job. So, <laughs> no, I would definitely. I mean, you know, it's it, anytime that you decide to do a fellowship in a lot of ways, I think you're you're giving up some aspect of otolaryngology. You know, I don't do hardly any of the other stuff. I don't do rhinology. I don't do facial plastics that much. I don't do, you know, I do a little bit of pediatric, but I don't do some of their bread butter stuff. But in a lot of ways, I gain stuff because, you know, a lot of people who don't do neurotology, they don't do as many cochlear implants or complicated chronic ear or stapes or, and obviously skull-based surgery. And so in a lot of ways, I felt like I was gaining something. So I feel very comfortable with my decision to do that.
0: So what do you like best? about neurotology? Tumors, for sure.
1: Really? I think there are certain approaches that are more easy
0: than others, but even
1: within that, it's a very difficult, very technically demanding. Um, there's a lot of structures that are really important that you can injure that really affect people's lives. Middle Fossa approach, for instance, and jugular frame approaches, I think, are very difficult. But you know, you have to get a lot of experience in doing those. And, you know, it really tests you, I think, as far as what are you capable of? And, you know, this is kind of the pinnacle of what I feel like my surgical skills can do. And so it's really the aspect of how difficult some of these surgeries are, along with some of the risks associated with the surgery. I mean, these patients, even when we do a perfect job, they wake up with facial nerve paralysis or they get meningitis or cerebrospinal fluid leaks. And so a lot of that, I, I, for some reason at this point in my career, I really enjoy still the taking care of something complicated.
0: Yeah. So you have a son. If your son uh, told you in about 20, 25 years that he wanted to be an otolaryngologist, what would you say?
1: I would say definitely. I would say anybody that wanted to be a doctor, I would make sure they understood, you know, that it's a long process. But, you know, I, I have no regrets. You know, I made a lot of great friends. And, you know, the things that we get to do on a day-in-day day basis, day-in-a-day day out basis, you know, taking care of people at their worst moment, I think is is really cool. So. I would have no issues with that and you know it, it's it's a good job and a good living and so I don't think I would have too much objection to that. We'll see where medicine goes in the next 20 years. That's a obviously a totally different topic but I still think it'd be in a good place. So,
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: I encourage people to consider otology and neurotology as a field and I think a lot of people do get a little bit intimidated by the 2 year aspect of it. You know, they don't want to take 2 years out to to get the extra training and they also think it's very competitive, which it can be, but I think If you plan properly and you do some, you know, the requisite research and get yourself in a good position, I think it's a really awesome field.
0: Great. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jameson. You're welcome. And best of luck with your new job. Thank you. If you like what you just heard or didn't, please go to my show notes page to let me know your thoughts. There you will find a link to a brief survey so I can improve the quality of this podcast. I would greatly appreciate your help.